Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. My friends, it's impossible to move forward in life when you're stuck. And how do we get stuck? We get stuck when we get given or we obtain information that conflicts. Conflicting information is the number one creator of failure. Now, let me say that again. Conflicting information is the number one creator of failure. So right now, every single day you're getting bombarded on the news about to mask or not to mask. I defy anybody, anybody, with any kind of intellectual prowess at all to make any sense of what any of these talking heads are saying on either side of the issue. All right? We've got proof that the masks didn't do any good. We've got proof that the masks do good. One mask wasn't enough. You need two masks. But then if you had, you know, the shots, then you don't need the mask. Well, now you have the shots, you need the mask. These guys are creating so much doubt, so many conflicting statements that people won't take action. They're not going to get a shot. They don't know. First of all, the Democrats said the shot was a Republican shot, so the Democrats won't take it. Then the Republicans are saying it's the Democrats trying to force you to take a shot so the Republicans won't take it. And again, all this goes back and forth about it's safe, it's not safe, what age you can take it and not take it. And to me, all of this is just nonsense. All of this conflicting information is what's keeping people stuck from taking practical action that could change their lives. So as I sit here and I go through this, I'm trying to use this as an example because everybody feels this right now. You all know what I'm talking about. It's just insanity. You can see it's insanity. So what's the other side of the insanity? The other side of the insanity is to be able to use common sense, is to be able to look to people that are successful and make decisions and take actions. So it doesn't matter what you think. I don't care what you think. And that's the important part is I don't care what you think. I care what I think. So when COVID came out at the time, I was trying to be a bodybuilder again. I was going to try to win the over 70 Mr. America, Mr. Universe contest. So I'd pop my body weight back up to 255. And my daughter was trying to get a pro card. So she was going to be a pro bodybuilder. And I thought we'd go there together and, you know, win some contests together as father-daughter kind of contests. But then COVID came. And then I had to make some practical decisions. And the first practical decision was when you weigh 255 pounds on a frame that in high school 
was an athlete at 185 pounds. It meant that I was carrying way more body weight than my heart, lungs, liver, kidneys could easily take care of. Could they take care of it? Hey, I was alive. I didn't have any major diseases from it other than diabetes, high blood pressure, high liver count, cholesterol. (laughs) So in other words, they had all kinds of things. But they didn't mean anything. Just like right now, you deciding that because you're a Republican, you're not going to get a shot for the just for the sheer arrogance of you're not going to tell me what to do, even though the shot might save your life. I decided I better lose the weight. My arrogance would have wanted me to stay a bodybuilder, but I decided not to. I decided to lose the weight. That was no fun because I was just starting to get good and people were starting to recognize me in the gym. Wow. Look at that. And you're how old? And I let it all go. Why? Because my common sense said I'd rather be alive if I get COVID and I'm 50 pounds overweight. And by the way, it could have been all muscle. It doesn't matter. It's weight. And so I started losing the weight and I went and got the COVID shot. When they said, hey, you're up. Your number's been drawn because I'm old and I have symptoms that would make me eligible. I was one of the first people that got the shot, and I got it. And I didn't care if if it was a Republican or a Democrat giving me the shot. All I knew was the fact, the fact, it's 99.9% effective in reducing the symptoms of COVID. There was no guarantee that it would eliminate COVID, that you would never contract COVID or never be a carrier of COVID. It was 99.9% effective in making sure you don't die from COVID. Now take your Republican BBBS and your Democratic BBBS and shove it down your throat and choke on it because it's all lies. My common sense said, Dell, stay alive. Now let's talk about your financial situation. People are doing the same thing. You've been told the way that it works is you go to school and get good grades, then get into college and get good grades, and get out and get an internship, or maybe go back and get another couple years of college and become a doctor or a master's of something. Then you go get a job, an internship, and a job, and you work for 40 or 45 years. You put money in a 401k, and by the time you're old and gray and achy and worn out and your life's almost over, you get to stop working and retire. Except for the fact you don't have any money, because nowhere in that plan did they say, create passive streams of income that will support you once you retire. So the system fails. I believed in that system. I went through that system. But by the time I was 27 years old, working 60 to 80 hours a week, six days a week, doing that for 12 years straight, and then going through a stock market crash in 87 or whatever that was, black market days, realizing that the whole plan was a lie. The entire plan that I had been fed since I was a kid was a lie. It didn't work. I watched my dad work until he died. He had a job up 
to the day he died at 65 years of age. Wow. And then I said, you know what? I don't care if it's the Republicans feeding me this garbage or if it's the Democrats feeding me this garbage, you know, saying I should go out there and be on welfare or I should go out there and have a job. I'm not listening to either of them. Then I came across this concept, buy a rent house, make positive cash flow. It was so simple, so clean. And as you do, you develop the accumulation of assets. And the accumulation of assets continues to grow. I went from 10 to 20, from 20 to 40, from 40 to 100. And one day I looked up and realized I was rich. And it's interesting because even when there's very little product out there for people to buy on the low-end side, which would be the starter home industry, investors still seem to find the stuff because we buy it the way they can't buy it. We buy it totally torn up, worn out, and old, and then we fix it up and make it new. But people buying their first home, number one, can't even see through that garbage to know that it could be nice again. Number two, can't get the cash to fix it up. And number three, can't qualify for a loan because the house is too torn up to be able to get a loan on it. So we buy it with hard money and or cash, and we fix it up and then refinance it and pull the money back out. They can't do that. So the low-end, inexpensive houses that do come on the market are all purchased by investors. And so what happens to housing? Let me read Marcus Milchap's second quarter report on multifamily housing. Marcus Milchap is a commercial broker. They sell all commercial real estate. So they don't have single family, although they do have reports on single family. But this is more about multifamily, this, this statement. Multifamily leasing resumes in force. This is for the second quarter, 2021. Ongoing employment growth and the resumption of many normal routines bolster household formation in the spring and summer. Now, household formation, for those of you who have not heard this term, is where kids leave home and go start a new household, or two people get married and start a new household, but there's a new buying unit on the market to buy a place to live. It's a household unit. So there's new household formation because kids are moving out from their parents, because kids are getting married and moving out. It's when you move away from somebody else you're living. Maybe you have a roommate and you decide to not have a roommate anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's leading a record number of apartments being absorbed into the second quarter. Absorption means there are vacant units that have just been built. They've never been leased yet. To be absorbed means they have been leased for the first time, and they're now part of the availability of rental housing. Now, we could be 98% occupied, and they could build another 100 units, and we've got to absorb those units. If we kept building and we didn't absorb, then rents would go down because there would be too much inventory and not enough demand. The problem is there's too much demand and not enough inventory. Now, that's a problem for you. (laughs) That's not a problem for me. Because I own the real estate, and so do all my Lifestyles members here. So we have a product that's in super high demand that is inflating as fast as the Democrats can make it inflate. It has gone from being in the beginning when I first started doing real estate. Your rent could only be one quarter of your total income. If you made $10,000 a month, you could only rent $2,500 a month. If you made $5,000 a month, you could only rent $1,200 a month. But now, housing has gotten so expensive that housing is up. It went from 25% to one-third. So if you made $3,000, you could rent for $1,000. 
and it's now got up to 50%. 50% of your income is going to housing. And who owns all that housing? We do. How many years have I been on the radio telling you this? 30 years. How long has this been happening? 30 years. How much longer is it going to happen? 30 more years. So while you sit here and try to time the market and time the Republicans and time the Democrats and time the policies and time the laws, I just keep buying more for 30 years. I just bought six more buildings this year. Six more. Six more businesses I started. I also started another software company. I'm out here increasing my net hold, increasing my net investment. And you're sitting there worrying about COVID, masks, don't mask, do mask, shot, do shot, don't shot. None of that even passes my mind in any one day. I don't care. And if they make us all start wearing masks again, I'll just put on a mask. I don't really care. And if they don't make me wear one, I won't wear one because I've got the vaccine. So I don't even have to think about that garbage. When you talk about thinking about inflation, I don't worry about inflation because I actually enjoy inflation. It's not a problem for me. It goes on and says, the rapid acceleration of housing demand drops the vacancy rate 90 basis points year over year. By the way, basis points is 100. There's 100 basis points to a point, okay? So 90 basis points, about one point, one percentage point. Year over year to 3.8% vacancy rate. 3.8% vacancy rate nationwide, just above the two-decade low. In other words, it's the lowest it's been in 20 years vacancy is. We're full. And you're going, but but there's that all that stuff about you can't evict people. We don't need to evict people. People are paying us because they want a place to live. Yeah. If you rent to purple Martian people, they don't pay. But that's not who our clientele is. Take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. One thing it has meant for us, and we have to compliment you, you've given us our time back. And I say our time because we got married 33 years ago, and we got married in July. Do you know why? Well, that was before I met Lifestyles. I used to work for Ford Motor Company, and with Ford Motor Company, I was uh, in the automotive division. They have shut down during July, the first two weeks of July. <laughs> So, so you had to wait for down. a shutdown to get married? Yes. Yes. He actually Whoa, changed. that's dedication there. <laughs> he made me change our wedding date. It was supposed to be June 15th, and I changed. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so if I had been a lifestyle, I could have gotten married when I wanted to. <laughs> and the ring would have been bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ready to get your time back like Vivian and Cornell? Register for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Shows. We went to break. We're going through a Marcus Milchap uh, report for second quarter. 
And I'll just finish it up for you and we'll move on. It says, fundamentals are expected to stay strong going forward, even as eviction moratoriums phase out in the coming months. The rising cost of homeownership paired with the return of many employees and students to the offices and campuses will bolster already high renter demand. Apartments near colleges may be particularly hard to come by as numerous students have already secured housing for the fall. So what do you want to buy? What kind of an asset do you want to own? How about one that's in massive demand, that they're not building enough of, that you can borrow money at record low interest rates to go into business with? Buy assets that are appreciating at radically fast rates. So you're paying nothing to buy massive inflation. I just don't see how you're vacillating. I don't see what you're waiting for or thinking about other than the fact that you can't decide if you need to wear a mask or not wear a mask or get a shot or not get a shot. While your life passes you by and you end up through three or four or five years of this pandemic, because you know there's right now COVID and there's COVID A and there's COVID D and there'll be COVID C and Q and whatever. Now that the government has decided that they can control and manipulate us, they're going to continue to shut us down. What's going to happen to you and your family when they shut your job down or they shut down a part of the economy that affects your job? Can you survive? I'm not even bothered. I didn't even worry about it. We basically just sit back and made money. Next email says, good morning, Dell. I've heard you tell the story of how you started in real estate. If I'm correct, it was using your credit cards and you got as many houses as you could with the amount of credit cards you had at the time. I plan on doing something similar. I'm self-employed, so I have to wait to start investing next year once I have my two years of tax returns. But when I do, I want to start with my savings first, which is 40000 Then, when that runs out, I have about 36000 in business lines of credit and personal credit with no interest for 18 months. My question to you is, once I've used my saved money to get a house or two, if I use credit where I had pocket costs today, are 10 times what you paid for what you used? Let's see, my question is for you. Once I've used my saved money to get a house or two, if I use credit where out-of-pocket costs today are 10 times what you paid for when you used credit cards, how would I pay those balances down? How would you use credit lines to buy houses today? All right. First of all, back when I was buying houses with credit cards, there was no way they could track where you got the money from. So I could go down to the bank, take my credit card on the way over there. And like houses cost me like $2,000 down. That's what I could get in for. In fact, up until just about 10 years ago, we could get into a house for $5,000 down, sometimes zero down because of hard money lending. So forever, we could just go down to the bank and, and say, I'd like to cash advance 2000 bucks. I'd take the $2,000 cash, go to the bank, get a money order with it or cashier's check with it. And uh, then I would um, take that to the closing. And they would never check. You know, they'd already checked your credit earlier, find out if you're qualified. But nowadays, the bank actually runs a credit report on you. I believe the title company or no, the lending company, the lenders run a credit report on you. Probably the day of or the day before they uh, give you the money or close the deal. So they're, they're trying to keep people from using credit as the down payment portion of the deal. So I don't think it works very well anymore. Secondly, point made that, you know, nowadays people are putting ten, twenty thousand dollars down. That's a lot of debt to go into and it really 
doesn't make much sense anymore to do it that way. So I would say poo-poo on my old idea. It worked well for me. Why did I do it? I even actually had the cash to buy with, but I didn't want to use the cash. I was just cheap. And I thought if I could borrow the money, then I really have nothing at risk and I've got even better leverage, right? So I thought it was a, a neat thing to do and I experimented with it, but I experimented for a long time. And over the years, I built up $50,000 worth of credit card credit. And um, eventually, eventually I had 50 credit cards with over $500,000 worth of credit card credit. And it was all like 18 months, no payments, six months, no payments, uh, no interest for a year, no interest for you know six months. And I had a spreadsheet that I put them all on. And I decided to buy an apartment complex and I had to put $327,000 down on it. And I uh, was messing around with a, a bank or a pre- bank president at the time, spending some time, close relationship with him. I said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out there. And I went to the bank, went to his bank. I said, I'm going to pull out $327,000 on these credit cards. And the bank teller freaked out. And then the bank teller went and got the vice president of the bank. And the vice president of the bank went and got the president of the bank. I said, let me explain to you what I'm doing. I'm buying an apartment complex. And I'm assuming a $725,000 loan. I'm putting $325,000 down on these credit cards. And he said, well, how are you going to pay those credit cards? I said, well, I've got $50,000 a month in cash flow, whatever it was, $10,000, $20,000 a month in cash flow over here. But that's not even a problem. I said, why is that? I said, because look at my credit cards. The average, the total interest on all the cards averaged out was less than 4% interest because some was zero. Others was, you know, very low, three, six, eight, ten. And secondly, there was no payments, some for three months, some for six months, some for 12 months. And so I put it all in the spreadsheet to see that it was very simple to do, but the banker then brought up the point, Del, but what happens when they run out, when these introductory periods run out? Now you're going to have $327,000 on credit cards. It's probably paying like something like 21%. And then I turned the page on the spreadsheet to the next page. And I said, look at this. He said, what's that? I said, that's 27 more credit cards. I said, I have a replacement. So as soon as any one of these gets close to being at the end of their free interest and no payment period, I'm going to transfer that amount over to a different credit card that will then give me six months more to a year more, uh, and I'll just move it. Then that card will come back, and they will want my business back, and they will offer me again some kind of a special. And I don't know if you lived back in those days, but there was a period of time where people were sending me offers for new credit cards every day and expanding my credit limit every day. They were just trying to expand credit because interest was pretty high. And uh, so I did that. Now, what you need to know about this, this is very, very important, is that, number one, I had a property that was about ready to refinance, and I was going to pull out almost a million dollars. So I had the money in the bank to pull out and refinance to pay these credit cards off if something went wrong. Number two, which is important, I actually had the $300,000 cash in the bank. And uh, I just wanted to do it. I wanted to prove that I could manipulate the bank's money to where I won and they lost. And by doing so, the banker then said to me, I used to meet him every month and show him, okay, here, I made all my payments. I just want you to look at this. Because it wasn't his cards. I mean, this was Wells Fargo uh, Bank, but it wasn't their cards. It was American Express, Discover, Visas of all kinds, MasterCards of all kinds. You name it, I had every credit card out there. Now, when I'm showing this guy this, he says, Dell, why didn't you just come to me to borrow the money? And I said, well, number one, I didn't think a bank would lend to the down payment on a, an apartment complex that you're borrowing with 75% debt on it, and I had to come up with 25%. I didn't think that you would lend to that. I said, number two, your interest rates would be 9%, and my net interest rate on this money is 4%. Would you do it for four? The guy goes, no. 
I can't do it for four. I said, okay, what can you do it for? He said, let me look into it. So he came back, and at the time, I owned nine different companies. And he gave me a business line of credit for each company of $100,000. And the interest rate was prime minus one. Whatever prime was, minus one. Then he gave me a personal line of credit of another $100,000 at prime minus one. Hence, nine companies, one personal line of credit. He gave me a million-dollar line of personal credit. At that time, I let my credit cards go back. I no longer needed credit cards. I didn't want to hassle with them, you know, paying attention to them and whatever, because now I had established credit. And uh, it was just something that I had decided I was going to do very early on. I wanted to build banking relations. So when I walk into a bank, people will give me what I want. They don't look at me. They don't even bother looking at my financial statement, because every time I go in there, I'm bragging to them about how much money do I have in your bank? How much money do I have here? Every time I buy a new business, I go in there and I wire the money from there and make it very, very obvious. Hey, I'm buying another business, blah, blah, blah. I keep checking accounts. I've got like 13 different checking accounts from 13 different companies in their bank and savings accounts and credit cards for the businesses. Each business, I use credit cards so my employees don't have to come to me for money. They just put on the credit card. So I built the banking relations. So now if I want something, there's no question. Well, it built from there to everywhere I go. And almost anything I try to buy now, apartment complexes, they'll just go, we know you're good for it. Just make us an offer. We know we can get you, we can get you the financing. It's not a problem. You're a prime candidate. Why am I a prime candidate? What makes me a prime candidate? Because I have millions and millions and millions of dollars in cash sitting in banks all over the place, about 20 some different bank accounts spread out all over the place. In fact, it might even be more than that. It's probably more like 30. And because I owned probably $500 million worth of assets. I don't know the number. I'm making that number up, but it's some large amount. Let's say it's $100 million or more in assets et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have perfect credit. So why do I tell you that? Because I built that reputation, never paid late, always paid on time or paid in advance. Even with every creditor I ever had in the apartment industry, I always made sure the creditors got paid by the time the bill was due. I never hung anybody out for 30, 60, 90 type payments and any of that stuff. I just created a complete environment of perfect credit. And I have a definition for credit. I don't think credit's even a word. I think credit is short for the real word, which is credibility. Credibility is to tell someone you'll do something and then do it. So if I tell you I'll pay you back and I don't, then I don't have credibility. I have bad credit. And that, my friends, is the worst thing you can do to your investment career, your life career, your spouse, your family, your friends, is to lie about what you will and won't do. You go buy a car and don't pay for it. You go buy a house and don't pay for it. You go buy an investment and don't pay for it. You have debt and you don't pay for it or bills, you don't pay for it. Then don't come talking to me because I don't like people that don't have credibility. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation.
The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.